Hi there. I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of livehealthy.ae, and this is the livehealthy.ae podcast. Each week, we will interview leaders in the UAE's health and wellness community, and we'll explore topics you read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women. And now it's time to meet this week's guest. So today on the podcast, we have Pam Pasta, who owns the Hot House Studio in Alzena. Pam has been a yoga teacher for more than 20 years, training extensively, first in Geneva at the Sivananda School, and later through Bodhi Yoga Academy and Bryce Yoga. And she's also a certified anti-gravity yoga instructor, so we like to help people hang upside down. Um, so Welcome. Thanks, Thank nice. so much. If you've ever been um, to Pam's Friday morning power class, then you know what a powerful teacher she is. And she's also a member of our Live Healthy Expert panel. Um, okay, so we're still in Corona times. And uh, you bought the hothouse two years ago. You bought it in the hothouse. So why don't you tell me what's been going on for you? I, You are one of those people, like so many owners, who just sort of leapt to action and started to put classes online and started giving people tons of resources um, through social media. Uh, but I guess we've got to the time where you have to figure out, uh, gyms haven't opened up, yoga studios haven't opened up in, Ottawa, or in uh, Abu Dhabi yet, but um, we've gotten to a tough point. So tell me what's going on with the studio. Hi, Anne. Thank <laughs> you so much for having me. Um, well, we are actually in the process of Closing our oh. studio permanently. Okay. Unfortunately, directly and indirectly as a result of COVID. Um, our last class, actually, ironically, you mentioned the Friday Power Class, um, which, well, my last Friday uh, morning power class took place on March 20th. And I don't know, I had a strange feeling that that would be the last time. Um, we would ever have our community of yogis coming in to practice to get together. That is so sad. That's the day that I was there and I bought my Too Rad to be Sad t-shirt from you oh. because I was sad and I was like, we're not going to be sad. This is going to be okay. Right. We went for coffee after. Um, oh, so that was the last one. That was the last day. And um, in my mind, I thought, you know, nobody could have anticipated the the speed at which COVID spread globally and also how it impacted each and every one of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, I thought in my mind somewhere between a month or a month or and a half, things might start to, you know, slowly start to recover. Businesses will start to open. But I always thought also in the business of yoga itself, how were we going to recover when yoga is all about breathing, yoga is all about connection. When we're told to socially distance, when we're told um, you need to wear masks. And now, just to give you an update, you know, we can't even allow children under the age of 12 mm. or adults over the age of 60. Mm. Um, even though we're not, we were never allowed to reopen. Um, the signs were, the notices were put up 
on the studio, when I looked at the sign, it really also gave me another reality check that how are we ever going to go back to the essence of yoga, which is connection, touch, mm. breathing, um, smiling at each other, not being afraid of each other. Because a lot of times when we come into yoga, we come in seeking more often than not healing and seeking a sort of fellowship with people. Um, a bond with each other um, or you have you know your doctor might have recommended you to come into yoga because you're suffering from back pain but more often than not people come in to find a sense of healing to find that sense of belonging and right when I started yoga over 24 years ago in a tiny studio in Switzerland in Geneva that's where I felt the essence of yoga. That studio in itself was very small, but everyone knew each other, clients, staff, and back then there were there were no certification courses. You didn't go off for a month and do a 200 hour uh, training. Mm -hmm. So I what did you do? To... You trained with a yogi for like two years, two years, two years. right? So, and now you can go. For one month, two months, you can you can become exactly. a teacher. Yeah, and we've written a lot about that on on Live Healthy about how um, that doesn't necessarily make you a yoga teacher. Absolutely, I <laughs> right. absolutely agree. With that, that is amazing. That's changed. Yeah. So um, two years with Sivananda, which also entailed being part of the studio, building what we like to call in Sanskrit sangha, which is community, building your community. So even though I was practicing there learning how to one day become a yoga teacher, I was asked to brew the tea or to clean the floors or to mop the, the to clean the mats. All that was part of building your community and it came so naturally to me. So fast forward to 2018 when I took over an already existing studio, that was the first image that came to mind, mm -hmm. that we would build that sort of community with teachers, with clients, um, and not have in any sense um, entitlement because I am an owner, then this is not my job to wash the mats after class or it's not my job to wipe the mirrors clean before class starts. Everything is part of everyone's job in that sort of community. So having taken this studio that already existed that had a somewhat tainted rep uh, reputation, it was a double task for me. It was one, getting introduced to the business of yoga, unlike being a practitioner of yoga. Because you've always just taught around, right? Like sure. you taught at Emirates Palace and you've taught at other studios and that's kind of the way yoga runs now, doesn't it? In the, in the UAE anyway, you have teachers who who are sort of like freelance for you. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is your first introduction to owning a business. And it was big eye-opener. So coming from that aspect and also housekeeping, cleaning up a studio that was already established that unfortunately for many reasons um, hit the wall, I would say, coming into that environment. And also it's like rebranding or it's like giving life to something all over again. And it takes me back to the story of Perrier, the sparkling water. Okay. There was a scandal. People, you know, were afraid of touching going near the brand. Okay. But then, you know, with marketing and uh, reassuring clients, I kind of felt like that was 
a second job that I had to undertake, right? not just building the business of yoga and learning how to do it, but also finding a way to bring confidence back to clients, pre-existing clients yeah. and new clients that we are trying to build a community here together. We want to offer you every single style of yoga to suit your needs. We want teachers to be qualified, loving, accepting, and welcoming of all. Um, so I took that because um, it was Bikram. Sorry to interrupt. It was it was hot. It was focused on hot yoga and Bikram yoga, and you didn't want to do that. Absolutely, I did want to continue Bikram. The problem is that Bikram teachers are a rare breed. It's right. very difficult to find Bikram certified teachers, at least around this part of the world, and of course. Um, there's offshoots of Bikram like Hot Yoga, mm -hmm. Hot 26, uh, different names that came out of the Bikram um, background, which is practicing yoga in a heated space yeah. with a set sequence. So I, I personally enjoyed Bikram mm -hmm. as a practice. I find that it's very good for um, to strengthen, to um, for flexibility. It's a it's a wonderful practice. But of course, so if I wasn't able to find a proper certified Vikram teacher. What could I look into next? I also like the style of Ashtanga, Vinyasa, which is more freedom in, in the way classes are structured, to something more restorative or something more grounding like yin. And I really wanted an offering where you could pick and choose depending on how you're feeling at whatever time of the day, morning practice, evening practice, coming in and having a variety of styles, but also different teachers from different backgrounds and different schools of yoga. But it's hard, like teachers are a challenge here in the UAE, are they not? Like getting them, keeping them, <laughs> dealing with their vacations. Absolutely. Like, what's it like? So when we hit the summer doldrums, mm -hmm. at least the two summers that I was um, owner um, of a yoga studio, it was very challenging, I'd say, because a lot of our teachers are, like you say, freelancers. A lot of them... Um, if they're female, and the majority are, they're usually sponsored by their husbands, and they usually have family and kids. And summer is when everyone packs up and leaves the UAE to go head back home or go on vacation. And it's not usually for a week or two. It's usually for the entire two months, July to the end of August. So that was always very challenging. And add to that, I had um, a roster of 16 teachers at one time. Uh, and you'd think that it would be easy to coordinate if one teacher is absent or one teacher can't make class. It's very difficult because when you're a freelancer and when you are in a city like Abu Dhabi where to be able to travel from A to, to, to B, usually you have to drive, they would have already commitments with other locations or other studios, other gyms where they'd be teaching. So it would be very, very challenging for me to... To manage that as well and and of course when you think of 16 different teachers 16 different personalities mm -hmm. 16 different expectations 16 different types of behavior coming in there this is a long way off from the way you started in Sweden. we were six teachers well I was not even a teacher at the time mm -hmm. I was just doing my two-year course but there were six teachers uh, in-house teachers 
and it's a different structure in Europe, you know, um, than it is here, for example, for, for your sponsorship, um, for having your visa. So we also took on a teacher who was um, on our uh, under our sponsorship, wonderful teacher who did a lot of great classes, but how much also can you um, pile up on one teacher? Because again, when people come in, they look for variety. They want... Um, I think yoga is also very much about connecting with the teacher, with the instructor. So there'd be people who gravitate towards one style or one particular teacher. So I was always trying to fine-tune how to run the studio, almost like it could run by itself. Right. But unfortunately, what I had idealized as an 18-year-old, what it would look like if I was a studio owner to actually becoming one, is is completely different today. Do you think they're just too at odds, like being the spirit of a yogi <laughs> and running a business? Like to be a business person, you have to be mercenary, and you can't, you know, you really can't do things just out of goodwill. Do you do you think that they can be in the same person? <laughs> Personally, yeah. it was an eye-opener for me, and, it, and it's not something that worked for me. I truly think there's a big distinction between the practice of yoga, enjoying yoga, for whatever it represents to the individual, than to be on the business side of yoga. I'm also someone who's very much, um, I take things to heart. Mm. So... Every complaint or everything that came through the studio, I would first take it to heart. But then I'd say, no, you're in the business of yoga now. You've got to think more with a business mind. But more and more, I started finding that I was losing a sense of myself and almost like I'm losing my own integrity. Okay. And for me, I tried. I did my very best. Um, you know, days turned into nights. I was always available 24 hours. Literally, if there was a complaint, I traveled over the two summers with my family. They don't remember having a holiday with me. Mm -hmm. I was literally on the phone, on emails, because I, I took the studio as a, as a home. I took it as whatever needs to be done in my home. The same I would apply in the studio to the point where I would take home the towels that were used, the bolsters, because I just wanted people to get that sense of, oh, these smell fresh. I'm not putting down any laundry um, services out here, but I really wanted to make sure that everything was as though you're walking into a house mm. and it's super clean and it's super tidy and cared for. It was, it was beautiful. Well, you're not the first yoga team. I've interviewed some others. Andrea Markham is a teacher in California, and she had a yoga studio, and it was her, I think it's the thing you think you want, right? It's yeah. the thing you think, and she said she had one, and it was, she always loved to travel and teach, do retreats, and she couldn't do it. She said it became like this yoke around her neck, so it was super humbling to sell it, and then, I imagine, you know, go back out and teach where other people, you know, trying to go find places to teach. You've already got some places that you can teach, but... um Ego-wise, making that decision. So it was sort of like a dovetailing of coronavirus and your own realization that it just wasn't really for you. Is that 
that is kind of what happened. So how do you deal with that ego-wise? Because so many people, when they get something, think, I can't get rid of this because people will look at me or they'll say something. You know what I mean? Like, you, how did you deal with that ego part of it of, like, I'm, I'm going to close it? Um, I think because just before we closed, we were really starting to go uphill. So for me, if I wasn't happy when we were at our best, then there's a big problem. Right. So when we closed forcefully because of um, COVID restrictions, I sat down, I questioned everything. I said, okay, this might last a month, two months. But is this really what I want to do? It absolutely wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. I wanted to be able to go back to how I enjoyed practicing yoga. You know, and I would teach one or two classes a week at the hothouse, I would give my all to class, to teaching. When I teach, I teach, and I switch off from everything else. But more and more, because I was so concerned with every other aspect of running the business of yoga, I felt more and more distance from being authentic in my teachings. Mm. I just felt like, oh, I have this one hour to teach a power class, that hour is going to be over and I'm going back to the reality of managing clients, managing staff, managing, uh, you know, fixed liabilities, our monthly payables. And these are the things I think we often tend to overlook when we fall in love with a business or we think the business side of our passion is exactly the same. Uh, so the honeymoon period <laughs> goes by very quickly. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if you think, because the way you talk about yoga made me really sad in the beginning because I love it so much. And, um, you know, the sort of the connection and are we going to be able to go back to doing yoga? I know some studios in Dubai are not wearing, they, I saw that you don't have to wear a mask because it's considered a strenuous workout. That was at a, a warm right. studio. But how do you think we are going to come back? Because even in those days, leading to the shutdown there was more space you were constantly cleaning like but how can you have a class I mean one of my favorite things about Abu Dhabi is how the teachers come around at the end and like give you a little neck cradle and you had your oils and it was how how do you think it's going to work I'm just hoping that um, things will change for the better I think it'll take a while before people get comfortable again with the idea of once we're told something, once we, you know, have experienced a lockdown or social distancing or wearing masks and gloves, automatically we're told or we're taught to be weary of, of people around us. Mm. So it's a paradox because yoga is all about touch as well, like teachers who provide, as you're saying, uh, assists and um, adjustments, hands-on adjustments. That's something that I would miss a lot because that was a way of me connecting with my students. Um, so I think it's going to take a lot of time. Even if we do um, put up parameters and put little stickers so that we know how close or how far each mat has to be, and if we do not even have to wear a mask, there's always going to be that sense of fear. I felt it also when I discussed this with my teachers just as we, we um, closed, a lot of them voiced their concerns about testing. So testing is 
obviously it, it makes us feel safer in terms of our staff and myself included. But then the same thing applies to us, like clients coming in, are they tested? Mm. So it opens up a huge can of worms. That's another barrier for businesses too, because they're going to have to test all their Absolutely. teachers every two weeks and then pay for that. Yeah. So the terms, so it's another. And to put up, um, you know, safety um, and how do you call it? Safety equipment. Yeah. To make sure, like, you know, somebody has fever or oh yeah, all these installations. Also, yeah. we bear the cost of that. So again, that accumulates. You know, you were during. You were one of the people I loved talking to because you weren't. Um, you weren't so scared, you know, like there were, I really avoided talking to a lot of people at the height of, of the coronavirus because it was te already terrifying. And then you would just talk to some people and they would repeat things. And I had that conversation with you and you were really, it was really comforting. I can't remember what you said, but you were just like, it's going to be, what are we going to do? We're going to be positive. We're just going to be, where did you find that from? I think just being present in the moment we're in. and. Yoga has taught me anything. It's just the acceptance of where we are. And we know this moment will change to the next. So whatever we're hanging on to, it's, it's not real. It's gone before we know it. So rather than to sit worried, and I do have days when I'm anxious as well. Of course, I, I, I go through doubt. I go through fear. But then I keep coming back and anchoring myself back into this moment and saying, this is the best I can do in this moment. And now going back to the hothouse, this is the best decision I can make at this time. So I don't lose a sense of myself. I don't lose a sense of the reality that's around us. Um, it's, it's a very sad moment in all our lives. Because it's, it has such a ripple effect on every every aspect of life, from you know relationships to 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 finance to family dynamics, everything is 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 and will change. Hopefully, it'll change for the better. Mm -hmm. But doing the best that we can in the moment that we have is really all that matters. Well, it's really been borne out with coronavirus, hasn't it? This importance of now because I remember what everyone was saying and it was like it's going to be the world's worst thing that's ever going to happen and then it hasn't really played out to be you know people have died and it's been very serious but it hasn't been anything like what it was projected to be so all that talk <laughs> about I mean it could have been but all that talk about what was going to happen right if you paid attention to it I always think it's like on a macro level of in your own mm -hmm. life when you're worrying about what might happen. You just have no idea, right? Like, there's just absolutely no... no it's way. also how much you want to... Um, how much of your energy you're giving to day-to-day -day news. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're really constantly being... I'd say there's so much news coming from every side and different opinions and different countries, the way they are, like, expressing what's going on in their... In, in their countries. So you can choose to take the news objectively as well and not so much as like sensationalist news. Um, and then, all right, I've, I've, I've heard this today. I read an article. That's it for today on Corona. 
until the next day or the next important piece of news, like here in the UAE, you know, we stick to directives, what the government tells us to do. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and I'm sure a lot of times they themselves don't know what's going to happen. It all depends on on testing. It depends on so many different factors. So again, we only have what we have today and now, and worrying and projecting in the future, I don't know. Was that hard for you? Because you trained as a journalist, as I have, and I have severely trimmed my news consumption after decades of just like eating everything up because it's too. I see the sensationalization and the negative right. story. Click on the negative story, and I did that for years. Right. Do you feel? Have Have you had sort of a? Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And we looked at it back back in the day in journalism school. We did look at tabloid news and sensationalist news and headlines. And I think it's so easy to really pick up an article from a reliable source mm -hmm. and to just look at facts. And media has changed so much as well. You know, we're, we're on our phones. Everything is like instantly um, uploaded on our, on our devices and we're seeing what's happening all around the world. Whereas before it was print journalism, so you have to sit down and really look at an article and then weigh in on the pros and cons. Do you believe this? Do you want to research this? So the landscape is changing. And you wouldn't see it 15 times in one day no, when you weren't exactly. even really looking. <laughs> so so um, I wonder about the Abu Dhabi yoga scene. Did you think, I mean, I, I think probably six, eight studios we, we had, we had, Heading into coronavirus, maybe eight. Yeah. Around there? Around there, yeah. Do you think that there were too many? No, I don't think there were too many because I think there's so many different communities um, that are being built on the island, off the island. So I think there's, at the time that this is pre COVID, yeah. there was demand for yoga. But now, the yoga also that I was accustomed to in terms of going into a yoga studio from what I've seen in North America, Canada, or in Europe is very different. It's a very different model as well mm. than I find that than what I found here. Uh, so I maybe wanted to also replicate what I had seen mm. out there. And again, the structure is very different. Like I said, in Switzerland, there were six teachers to a studio of a representing a style of yoga Sivananda, which is has a long lineage and is very well known. Uh, and it's a practice of consistency and like most practices, but this one has its particular sequence. So I feel in Abu Dhabi before COVID, there definitely was a need to have a variety of studios offering a variety of styles of yoga. Um, but for me, a yoga studio also meant solely providing yoga. Right. And not maybe making it an offshoot of, I don't know, uh, another type of exercise. Because mm. then people are like confused. Like, do you want to put yoga in the same category as, I don't want to say something, but like, for example, CrossFit and yoga. Yeah. Can you merge the two in one studio? Maybe you can. Yeah. But for me, I just wanted it to be purely yoga and Pilates as well. Um, our Pilates classes were very popular mm -hmm. at the time with wonderful teachers. Um, so, yeah. How about 
I mean, one of the things that's changed and that model that you're talking about where the studio is the focus and the nucleus and the teachers are sort of part of a family there. But we also have like the yoga teacher is the influencer, right? Every yoga Mm -hmm. teacher is like his or her own little business and they're sort of hustling and working around and doing retreats and all that. Yeah. So I'm just how that makes it really hard. Do you think, does that make it hard when those teachers are, and there's nothing wrong with trying to make it, but that model, that social media has sort of impacted. What do you think about that? Cause you, you've been here the whole time mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know, there was no, and you're not, you're, you're not like that. You're not like you are on social media, but you're not. No. Uh, what, like, how does that negatively impact what you say? So it's, it's a learning curve for me. I, like you said, I, had my classes before I owned the studio. I had my private classes, clients who I've had for five, six years. I've been the resident teacher at Emirates Palace. And then I worked at one studio over a year and left that studio for different reasons. Um, for me, when I became the studio owner, I wanted my teachers to, to grow, to, you know, to get better, to put themselves out there, so to speak. But of course, then there's a clash of interest because a class that runs well is down to how dedicated the teacher is to that class. Now, if that teacher then start, starts to get swayed because a new studio is opening or because they have an opportunity to take off in a week's time for a whole month because they're going to co-host a retreat, then it becomes a problem for the studio. So I also had to manage clients, for example, who would specifically come for a teacher and loved and followed that teacher. So if a client would be paying an annual membership, that would scare me a lot because I would say to myself, how am I going to deliver Mm. And make a promise that those classes will continue throughout that period of time. So all these accumulated for me. And I think freelancing is great because you can grow your business as a yoga teacher. You can, you know, you can, you're more exposed. But then free in itself, the word free is that you're not tied down to Mm. the studio. So it, it, it's impactful to the studio. It can be positive or it can be negative. But I always said to this to my teachers, a house is only a home as long as you're pouring your love, your dedication, and your commitment to it. You can build walls, you can break them down, you can put a nice slab of uh, a coat of paint. But if you're not bringing that energy into that home, there's nothing, there's no soul in that place. Well, that's interesting because one of the things we've talked about before, and one of the things I've noticed just being a person who loves doing yoga, is that there are some yoga teachers out there who are not great. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe they're technically proficient, but they're not sort of the nicest people. Mm -hmm. Or um, they may act very enlightened, but then you'll sort of see them outside Mm -hmm yelling on the cell phone after which has happened uh you know i've I've done a whole zen class with someone and gone outside and seen that person absolutely losing it on the phone to someone else like in a way that you know we all have our bad days but it's something that i've just marveled at over the last 
decade. It just seems to be growing because I think because you can just go and become a yoga teacher in a month or two. How I worry about the people who come to yoga who maybe have gone through a divorce and are just trying to, you know, I worry about the guy who's gone through a divorce and just decides to Google like how to get over a divorce and sees yoga and then wanders in a yoga class and just might find someone who's maybe not the best, most realized person to be leading them. How do you find a good yoga teacher, do you think? A genuine soul. When you find one, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I, I honestly, and uh, I put it down to the fact that we're all human. And, you know, there's a word guru, who, which means uh, darkness. Guru is light. So someone who brings you from darkness to light. So it's a, it's a word that is, unfortunately, being misused when we think about a yoga teacher being your guru. Um, in any shape, size, or form, I would never want to be considered as a guru to anyone. I would love to be able to, after taking my class, someone to say, that really resonated with me. Your words comforted me, or, wow, my body feels much better now. I, I don't feel that achiness in my shoulders. That's as far as what I think my role is a yoga teacher should be. Now, there are teachers who, I, I don't know, it's a big, it's a question of energy as well. You're attracted to somebody's presence, somebody's energy, some how that energy is um, dispersed in the room. Uh, but it's also a question of doing your homework. Like, get to know your teacher. If you really feel passionate about your practice, why and what is it that keeps bringing you back to that teacher's class. Do a little background research. Maybe after class, ask a, a couple of questions. How will your teacher answer you? Does mm -hmm. your teacher have time for you to answer certain questions? Is your teacher a diva and doesn't have time for you and switches off once the class is over? There's so many different ways of, of getting to know your teacher. Yeah, like I guess they have some answers. They don't have all the answers, right? I like that you described it, the word guru. Mm -hmm. And as we all know in the Bikram documentary, you shouldn't really ever give anyone all your uh, <laughs> all your attention and all your faith, right? You should always... And devotion. Like devotion is also a very um, broad word, I'd say. Being devoted to your practice does not mean that you're devoted to your teacher. The big difference. It's what yoga does or stirs in you or changes or the catalyst that you find in the practice of yoga does not necessarily mean that it's the teacher who's bringing that. You are doing the work. And a lot of times we feel that we need to be guided by someone. Yoga is, can be a very transformative personal journey. So, on a more positive note, uh, you're not going to have a yoga studio anymore. What next? <laughs> I am just looking forward to spending time home with my family um, and back to self-practice. That was one thing I lost. I really lost the time to be with people I truly enjoy being around, truly love, cherish, friends of mine that I haven't been around, that I think in the midst of getting caught up with the business of yoga, I didn't have time for. And I feel bad saying that. I mean, we should always have time for the people we love. And also, 
going back to what yoga means to me. I'm maybe not made for the business of yoga, but I definitely will always have yoga in my life in the way I was introduced to it at the age of 18. And I will walk into a yoga studio and I know what I'm looking for, the style of practice I'm looking for, sensing the energy. It's all about energy and the mm-hmm. end of the day. You walk in and you want to feel at home and included. And if you're you know, feeling lost, then the practice should help guide you back to yourself. And not a teacher who has 50 million qualifications or, you know, has a following of X number of people on social media. It should really be what feels right, what sits right with you. I'm questioning things. Okay, and where can people find you to yeah. see what you do next? Like Instagram? Or? Um, I'm on Instagram. I have a personal Instagram. Um, not that many followers. Um, but, that. but you'll put, if yeah. you have start classes up again when yoga. For sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Pam. Thank you so much, Anne. Thanks for the two years. Thank you. We'll practice again soon. All right. (laughs) That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the livehealthy.ae podcast.